Hello, this is Mike Tatarski, Editor-in-Chief at Saguenir, here with a very special episode of the Saguenir Podcast. Um, I guess you could consider it our Christmas gift to listeners. A couple of weeks ago on the website, we ran a story about the incredible story of Fung Tam, a singer in 1960s Saigon, and the journey of her daughter Hannah to kind of uh, discover her music uh, after decades of not knowing that her mom had a previous life as a singer. So this is my conversation with Hannah Ha, uh, Fung Tam's daughter, as well as Mark Gerges, the producer, and Jan Hagenkotter, a uh, German collector of Vietnamese music, who the three of them worked together and released an album called Magical Nights, Saigon Surf, Twist, and Soul uh, last month. And um, we didn't plan on this being a podcast, but all three of them are great talkers. It was a really engaging conversation. And there was a lot of information in the article, which is the link is in the episode notes, but I thought it was worth sharing the whole conversation because there's a lot about kind of the history of Saigon music, what it took to uncover this music and find it and track it down around the world. Um, and just thoughts about, you know, what this means that this history is still being discovered um, and kind of the importance of Vietnamese music and putting that in, a, in the context of its contribution to um, history, which is often overlooked, especially in the West. So here's my conversation with uh, Hannah, Mark and Jan. Uh, enjoy and happy holidays. Well, I'll start with Hannah. Um, so I know this was covered a bit in that Guardian story, but how did you first come to find out that your mom was uh, or had been a, a singer? My mom has always loved singing. She uh, she would sing a lot while we were growing up. I would hear her in the in the kitchen, um, in the car when we would go for long car rides. Uh, I remember moving away to college and really missing home and I would call her and she uh, would sing for me and it would always be um, American uh, jazz standard she would she loved Patti Page and and Louis Armstrong and the the slow more slow um, Elvis ballads and rarely would I hear her sing uh, Vietnamese songs and I remember one, uh, maybe about five years ago, as my parents were getting older, I asked my mom to go and record um, a few songs for me so I can kind of uh, archive it indefinitely. Mm. And uh, grabbing out their karaoke machine, she recorded a few songs and sent me the CD, and I still have it to this day. But it was not until November of 2019 where she uh, mentioned that she had a contract that was sent to her by a company from Vietnam asking to use one of her songs. And it was a 25-page legal contract um, asking for private information. And um, we, of course, said, don't do anything, it's a scam, mm. it's, uh, they're, pr prying, they're preying on older uh, people, and so I, I said, just throw it away. So she deleted it, um, <laughs> I mean, she threw it away, uh -huh. didn't sign it. And then a month later, she said to me, that movie just got released. And I said, it was Makbiak, have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but I, I, know, I know what it is, yeah. Okay. It was really popular. In <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So 
she said, oh, that movie, it's, it's, it's released. And I said, are you talking about that movie where they asked you to, to use that song? And she said, yeah, it's released. And I said, okay, well, I need to get a hold of it. Um, I need to find out if it's true or not. And it took me about a month to do that mm. uh, because it was not easily accessible online. Sure. So once I was uh, able to find it and hear it, that was how I began my search uh, for for her history. Okay. Okay. Right. And then the, the search, yeah, so again, this was covered a bit, but what, how did you kind of go from there? So it was, um, it became an obsession for me. <laughs> it was nonstop, and I worked full time as sure. well. Mm. And it was coming home from work, doing the bare minimum, and then just sitting down on my computer and just searching. And it, uh, I couldn't find really anything online. Mm. On, uh, on Google, but I was able to locate a couple of videos on YouTube. And the video were, first of all, there were so many people with the name Foon Thumb uploaded, mm-hmm. right? I mean, when you look on it now, you have to scroll through hundreds of videos to get one that resembled that type of music. And so um, a photo that kept popping up is the one from Saigon Rock and Soul, mm-hmm. right? Because it had Fun Tham Demhin Yu, which is that magical night song. Yeah. And so I kept seeing it over and over. And every time when I would see something that resembled my mom's um, face, I would send it to her. Mm-hmm. Is this you? Is this you? Are you sure you did? She's like, no, that's that's not me. I never smoked, and I don't know who would put that up. She actually got mad because she's like, people are telling me I'm I'm smoking, and I'm not. I don't smoke, <laughs> and so it was like one of those where we needed to get confirmation, and slowly she started to tell me mm. that she did record that song, or when she would hear twenty forty online she would say oh yes i remember that song or when she would hear the lin online because there were um i would say uh, maybe 10 videos of the more popular songs somehow they were able to recover it and post it and she once she heard it she said yes that's my voice but then it also became apparent where a lot of people used her name used her voice but posted their own face up there or their own videos I mean of singing standing off stage and singing Mm -hmm. uh, without using their own name and so she got really mad she Mm. asked me to tell them to take it down Mm. and I was like I mom I didn't upload it I can't take it down and she says well you have to tell them that it's not me so I went on to the comment and I would say, you know, this is not Pungtam, this is not Pungtam. I did that a mm. number of times. Um, but nothing happened. And so I said to my mom, we need to put a collection together 
and release it with a little bit of your story so that everyone will know which one is yours and which one are fake, mm-hmm. are fake from them. And she initially didn't want to. She is one of those um, kind of like, oh, you know, she's older, she's 76, even though she's very energetic, she's mm-hmm. like, you know, I have a simple life now. Mm-hmm. I don't need to get everything all stirred up mm-hmm. and I um, I don't think we, you need to do that. I know that's not me and you know that's not me. Mm-hmm. And I said, but nobody else knows that's not you. We need to do it. And I said, if not for you, then for me and my kids and my grandkids. And it took a little convincing, but I said, you don't have to do anything. You can just sit back I would do everything, I would do the research, and I will uh, publish it. And so that's how the journey began. And once my mom agreed to it, and I, ha- I kind of had to convince her, because every time when I would find a video that was not her, I would send it to her. Mm-hmm. And then she became more irritated and more angry. And finally she said, okay, you, you can do it. And, um, and then I got in touch with Mark, and uh, we just we just took off. I mean, it was yeah. And Mark, so Mark has been there from the very beginning. Okay. Because I didn't even know how to ma- I didn't even know how to make uh, uh, an album. I didn't know how to even get these albums. Yeah. I, in my naivete, I said Mark. Can you just put these YouTube together and extract the <laughs> um, video and the sound and just put a CD together for me yeah. or an album together for me? And immediately Mark was like, no, 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 we can't do that. We have to get the original. Mm. And there was our uphill battle right there was trying to get the original because he did not want to make any mistakes like what he did with the first one there were mistakes that were brought up to his attention mm. after the album was released and so he said we have to make absolutely sure that this is going to be accurate because we are telling your mom's story and it has to be as accurate as possible okay <clears throat> So, Hannah, did you and Mark know each other already, or did you meet, like, through this project? No, we didn't know each other at all. Okay. I didn't even know, I didn't even know uh, if I was emailing the correct person, because okay. he has a moniker, right? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, oh, um, I, just, I just kind of did it in the dark. Okay. <laughs> but, okay. But you had seen his name from that, the album, the previous one. Right. So okay. I, I went and bought, so I bought the album. I bought the album and I had it with me and I read it cover to cover and listened to the music and I kept going back to track seven and then also track 11 because track 11, I heard it on YouTube and track 11 in his um, album had the same had the same recording, almost the same recording, and so I kept going back to that, and I just was kind of in awe that this is my mother. So the more I listened, the more I was like, oh my gosh, I can't I can't believe that this is 
what my mom used to do mm. and it became almost <laughs> like it became I can't even tell you how it felt like it became almost obsessive mm. like obsessive that I had to find this out yeah but yeah now Hannah I'm curious I mean I know so I that, I don't come from this background but I know it's common for like an immigrant family is the parents kind of whatever life they had in the country they came from like that's that's kind of like almost forgotten about um or like that's a thing of the past like how did it you know how did you feel that your mom had this fascinating part of her early life that she just like never talked about until it was kind of stumbled upon um it was we laughed i mean it was if i never got mad at her <laughs> I, i never got mad at her it was mm. it was um No, first of all, it was a lot of are you sure this is you? Mm. Are you sure? Not like 99% you, right? You I need 100% <laughs> confirmation. Right. Are you sure this is you? And she's like, "I'm sure this is me." And I said, "How do you know it's you?" I mean, it's it's one of those things where it happened so long ago, and I don't know if my mom's memory is fading or not, mm. but then she would started to tell the stories in intricate details mm. intricate like who was her pianist and who was um her saxophonist and how many num- how many songs would she sing at each places and she would have a driver and what she wore that night and the shoes that she wore i mean it was just such an intricate detail right. that i knew it was real okay and um and so we would laugh about it but it was it happens with so much excitement that i didn't have any um i didn't have any it, i was so i was so joyful actually it was okay. so exciting <laughs> and every time i would find a new song i would um send it to her but not not ju- i would just send the name i would just send the name and i would say Um, Mark found a new song, or Jan found a new song. Would you want it? Do you want to hear? And then she would look at the title, and she would say, "I don't remember this song." And I would say, "Okay, do you want to hear?" And I would kind of linger and let her suffer a little bit, just maybe a half an hour, and then she would text me back and say, "Can you please send me the song?" and she loved it mm. every single song and some song she would cry and she would remember my dad because my dad had passed uh, away about eight months before and she would say i can't believe that your dad is not here to hear this mm. and i'm so sad why didn't we discover this sooner so that was where some of the emotions came in mm. it was my dad not being able to enjoy this um and yes everything has been happened in the past and um important memories were retold over and over almost to the point of being gossipy mm. right but then other memories were kind of forgotten mm-hmm. um so okay um, Uh so Mark and Jan I mean how did what when you guys came in um you know how did you go about finding songs or Jan I know you're you used to be based here Mark I take it you were also in Vietnam for at least part of this process 
Um, not for this process. It was ah, okay. related. Uh, okay. My wife and I lived in, in Hanoi uh, between 2014 and 2018. Okay. Um, but I had immersed in, in Vietnamese music and culture, obviously with Saigon Rock and Soul, yeah. uh, which was done mostly um, focusing on, on diaspora U.S. communities mm. and, and collecting the music in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, before ever going to Vietnam, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, many places in Southeast Asia, but never, never actually gone to Vietnam. So it was a pleasure to to live in Vietnam for five years, and of course, you know, my interest in the music continued. Um, Jan and I actually met uh, during that time. Right, we, 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 met, we met. I, I remember. I remember the funny thing is that we met the the first time we met in person was. One day before you left Vietnam, we met in Hanoi. That's right. That That's was right. The I forgot it was that close. We ever met, and then that was when we chatted about your project with the Saigon Rocks, and about my upcoming project with the Saigon Super Sound. And then the next day, you left Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And I was able to to see Jan DJ the night before that, or a couple of nights before that, and we we spoke. Okay. And uh, there was a I lot to right. talk about over coffee. Yeah, we, should, <laughs> right, yeah, we shared right. stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was great, and I was well aware of. Uh, yeah, I was well aware of, of Jan's work over the over the, the previous years. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, his incredible. And, and I was aware of his work as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a great chance meeting. And that's when we could put a face on it and uh, and meet in person. And I'm very glad that happened because that led to our our collaboration for this release. Right, right. So, so, so then, how did the you know the process of tracking these sound? Uh, obviously, these weren't easy to find. Um, how did that uh, no, no. that go? I mean, I'll start by just saying, yeah. In Jan, recapping um, from from my perspective, uh, in January 2020, I was contacted just out of the blue by Hannah in mm. St. Louis from, from the email that she described. Mm. And by chance she just, I mean, it was mind-blowing. By chance she had just discovered that her mother was had, be, had been this teenage rock star and recording artist uh, in Saigon with dozens of recordings to her name, mm. you know, in that period in the early to mid-60s. And um, knowing that she had uh, tracked me down uh, in her research um, uh, through the Saigon Rock and Soul compilation that I had made in 2010, Hearing the story, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it was uh, it was very inspiring to hear, and I was excited for her, and I was so curious, and uh, I signed up immediately, and it was just an incredible journey that we had making this record together, and uh, you could almost say that you know the timing of it. This is pre-COVID, but Mm. that the immersion of this project—it was a very immersive project. Mm. And all the twists and turns, uh, it, it really helped us form a bond and get deep into the project, and it, and it gave us uh, sort of an anchor, you know, during this crazy tumult of the past couple years. Mm-hmm. And so I was very happy for that. Okay. But it was an absolute joy uh, to undertake with Hannah, and uh, it's one of the most immersive projects I've been a part of. It was, it was akin to... Um, finding a set of books, of old books, with most of the pages missing, mm. um, you know, or, or a lot of the pages glued together, you know, the remaining pages, and trying to unglue them without inflicting further damage, you know. <laughs> so our task was to repair them uh, in order to tell this story and to try and fill in the missing gaps for this uh, lost body of music. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, 
locating the music really required a global effort. Right. And reaching out to to, um, our, to you know collectors on eBay, strangers, and our collect our, our our network of music collectors and people. Um, that's what it took to begin filling in those gaps, and, mm. and that was an arduous task in itself. It took many months, and um, in a sense, it's still occurring now. Mm. You know, we 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 received tracks even after the the project finished, and we're still receiving stories, and we're looking forward to more feedback and stories. And we're talking here about one artist right. and her body of work. Imagine the myriad artists and stories from South Vietnam at the time. Uh, some of which Jan has uncovered as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the next mountain to climb was getting these records that we'd found uh, to a presentable and listenable state mm-hmm. because they were incredible songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, sourcing the master tapes from the era is out of the question mm-hmm. in most cases as far as we, we've understood. Um, having been lost or destroyed, you know, after 1975 like right. so many others. So we were... Um, Lucky, really lucky to source what we did from the the original surviving retail seven inches and the real tapes from the time. But many of these were in poor shape also. Right. Um, even the seven inch records. Yeah. I remember we made like lists which we which we exchanged like Excel lists with the uh, we put in new songs. Oh, we have a new song from her. Oh no. Okay, yes. not from her. Okay, delete it again. Okay, we have another one. Okay, and then and then we had like all the names of the people uh, uh, who collect records. He might have a copy, or he has a copy which is good. This one from him is better. It was like such extra lists we exchanged yes. for weeks and months to yes. to, to get I remember complete, that to get a complete picture of what songs existing who might have a copy somewhere in the world or where on ebay to buy it <laughs> right unreal yeah we we really yeah. had it mapped out and we were keeping close track getting multiple copies so we could hear you know which which version we could patch in or if that version had a bad uh, a bad section uh Jan was an incredible resource um already having immersed for for so many years in vietnamese music and collecting and and um having a very detailed database of his own. Mm-hmm. We've only seen the Fung Tam portion of that database. I'm sure it's it's quite a lot greater than that. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, we, we had that Excel sheet running for months. Okay. Even yeah. the, you know, even the seven inch <laughs> records, you know, the, 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 the seven inch records that most of them come from, they're they, the ones that were even in decent physical shape. Uh, for instance, ones Yan had, and even some Yan was like, Oh my God, that is stuck in Vietnam, and I can't get back there right now. Right, yeah, right. I still have it in yeah. Vietnam one, <laughs> and I, we couldn't yeah. get a hold of it. Oh damn! But even the ones that were in like good shape, they had their challenges too, because these um, these sorts of 45s they were they were commonly issued as um, like four song compilations, you know, featuring various singers. Uh, sometimes there would be two Phong Tam tracks and a Hung Gung track or somebody else. Mm. Um, that was common at the time uh, in the way that they were issuing them. Um, but they would squeeze all of this music, exceeding that recommended dose per, uh, of music per side, which is supposed to be about four or five minutes, you know, that, that can have a dynamic quality. But they would cram sometimes six, seven, eight, nine minutes of music onto these grooves that right, were only right. meant to contain four or five minutes. And this obviously can result in a very thin, uh, overcompressed sound, mm. which was then, you know, further compounded by by some subpar pressings or the decades of war, mm. 
they were ravaged uh, mm. in some cases. And, and so the restoration approach was a balancing act, um, really choosing to, uh, you know, significantly reduce distortion and noise when possible mm. and try to preserve the integrity of the tracks. And, and, and as we worked to bring these songs back to life, uh, and the, the dynamic production qualities and all of the details of the music started to, to come into focus. It was, it really felt like magic. Mm. And we were saying at the time, it's like the veils of history were being lifted. It was brilliant. Right. Yeah, I mean, I was, it yeah, was yeah, I mean, Mike, it was magic. I'm, I can honestly say that the restoration process was magic because mm. the, what we had before and what we have after is, um, is unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. What we had before was pops and scr- it was almost like popping a microwave popcorn. <laughs> it was so dirty and I could not even hear any of the deeper, subtle instruments. And it, um, some of the songs were warped. Um, I mean, to the point where it was giving a seasickness. It was so yeah. many every and every single track except for maybe Jan had a couple of tracks that were from reel to reel that were of very good quality but all the others had dirt had scratches um, and and then slowly Mark started to clean the first layer and then the second layer and then like the 99th layer later he would say uh, I don't like it. Let's start from the beginning. And I'm like, no, my mom's getting older. We have to done. Right. And then, okay, start from the beginning again because it became so distorted. Once you get to like the 10th layer, the sound starts to get distorted. Mm. So then he had to pull it back and go back in and then pull it back. You don't want finally, to it. Mm. Yes. And then finally, I had to say, Mark, you have to stop. We have to finish this project. <laughs> All these music nerds. <laughs> yeah, really. And then he, well, and then he welcome was like, to our you, world. He's like, do you hear that? Do you hear that little thing? And I go, um, I don't, but I'm sure that you will be fixated on that little thing. So if you need to fix it, you can fix it. <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. That's a delicate. I mean, yeah, there's a charm to the to the dirty records too. Mm. You know, when you when you put them on as records, as physical objects, it, it's wonderful to hear them, even with all of the crackle. And and that's that's part of the charm of listening. But we really wanted to get them to a place uh, of integrity where they could stand up on their own for a modern audience who would be listening to them in retrospect in 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 historical context and. And, and hear the music. Yeah. Without yeah. you can you can certainly overdo audio restoration. So it's a dance you have to do. But the, really, I'll reiterate that one of the um, the great facets of this project was the community effort mm-hmm. uh, that it required. And in order to help tell this story correctly, and and so we did. We combined forces with with uh, people like Jan, and uh, well, specifically Jan and uh, uh, and uh, London-based artist uh, and researcher uh, Kung Fan and others, and so thanks to that group effort, this record was really possible. Also, Adam Ferguson, other collectors. Um, but I, I wanted to say before it slipped my mind that um, going back to what Hannah was saying about her mother's reaction to the entire production, really, 
um, but track by track, because these tracks were coming in slowly. We would, we would, uh, one of us would have a revelation and say, hey, I found this track, or I found a better version. I would start cleaning it, but then I would send some, some demos of the restoration, um, or even the initial um, uh, filthier tracks, right, uh, uh, to Hannah, and she would share them with her mother. Mm. And then, this was the real joy, personally, was witnessing her mother's reactions to hearing these for the first time. Mm. And, and for the first time, in some cases, in 50 or 55 years. Right. Um, and she, some, in some cases, she had never even heard the playback of the song she'd recorded on in the studio. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So she may never have even heard the final product. Um, which can probably be attributed to her whirlwind lifestyle at the time and being a star of the stage. And <laughs> the studio was an aside. You know, yeah. you'd go and record in the studio, they'd bring you, then then you'd go do your night on the stage. Yeah. Right? So, um, yeah, anyway, the, the, that was incredible. I wanted to say something yeah. interesting. Mark said, when Mark said that, and also asking Hannah about that, because I'm interested in myself. <laughs> and, um, he said that, they, that she was more kind of a stage person. And, and what I found very interesting is, and I think you said that, Hannah, before, that in the past, they didn't play just like one show a night. They played like three songs in one club, and then they went on to play in another club three songs. And that they did for, for like, and, they, and that's something very special in Vietnam, because they still do this. To, um, until today, if you mm. go to Vietnamese clubs, then the singer come in, they sing three or four songs, and then they leave and they go to the next spot mm. to sing, and that's what they do for all night. Mm. Uh -huh. Yeah, is that what your mother also did back then? Oh yes, my mother did that, and she she would get a contract from um, each nightclub to do it every single uh to do it every single night and the musicians at that time it's called gay gay so which means running of the number jai means running so means number so you run the um the nightclubs and uh whenever you are popular they the the the, the more prestigious nightclub will get you and it's and it's also important what time you sing too mm -hmm. right so if you sing between five and six you're not as popular right because most people don't go to nightclubs at five or six <laughs> right so my mother had prime time at some of the more popular nightclubs um and especially dance clubs because she can sing a variety of, her singing was so, had so much variety. She can sing Boston, uh, cha-cha, she can sing rock, she can sing ballads. And so at these nightclubs, uh, they wanted her. And so, um, and that would always be 11 to one. And then for the more upscale listening lounges, it would be like, um, you know, 10 to 11. So, yes. And the reason why they do this in Vietnam is because um, you get a lot of bang for your buck, right? It's just like what you guys do. Like the other day, Mark, when you have that show at the Auto Cafe. Mm. 
and you had multiple acts in one night, right? But that's right. Imag- but imagine that you didn't just have that one performance. You had another performance after, and another performance act after. And how much of a great living would you make, right? And and that's what my mom said. That singing and performing and musicians, their job started at five o'clock at night. Their job, they when they come in at five o'clock at night, they did this every night for seven days a week until one or two in the morning, and then they would go out and have a meal to come back to it the same. Night after night, and so she said, "Imagine if you do that every night. How wonderful these musicians are!、Mm. It's like their own practice jam session、mm. every single night,、mm. right?" It's、she、a said, well-oiled machine. Yeah, yeah. a well-oiled、yes. machine, right? And so these recording,、um, recording of these songs that my mom had. She said the arrangement only hired professional because time in the studio was expensive, and the arrangement had a job to go to at five o'clock. Right? He had his own regular job, so you have to be professional to come in and record at the studio. That's why some people may be really famous at performing, and Yang, you probably. Know this,、um, where people are really famous at performing, or maybe on the radio, but they're not good at recording, and so they may、oh, only、yes. have like <laughs> one, one record, right?、Mm. It's because my mom was was a professional at that time. She knew what they wanted. She, it's very easy for her to learn a song. In fact. Right now, if she hears a song that she likes, she'll learn it and she'll put a twist on it to make her her own. <laughs> That's what musicians like in the studio. They don't want、um, somebody that just performs the songs the way they want them to perform. They want the performer to do it the way the performer feels it and how to make it their own. So that's gaiso. Gaiso means running of the nightclubs.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's still done till this day.、Mm. So what's? I mean, Hannah, this is your mom, obviously, but I guess Mark and Jan as well. I mean, you guys obviously have already already uncovered quite a lot of Vietnamese music. But Mark, as you kind of said, this is probably like the tip of the iceberg, considering how vibrant、um, Saigon was in the in the '60s. I mean, obviously, we see a lot of photos of it these days, but. Sound and video is a lot, a lot more rare. But I don't know what, you, what, what's maybe next for for all of you on in this kind of thing. <laughs> what's next? Wow, that's a huge question. <laughs>、um, what's next? Well, we're 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 still, yeah, we're still telling this story and、sure. and and living this.、Uh, the, the reactions have been wonderful,、right. uh, which we're very grateful for.、Mm. And、um, you know, there's more to come. I mean, the vinyl issue will come out in 2022. Right, right. But I think you're asking a bigger question than that.、Um, <laughs> well, Mike, there are so many stories.、Like? Mike, what would you like? What would you like to see as the next thing to promote this music? As the person that's actually living in Vietnam.、Right、now. <laughs>、um, well, I mean, I know it's difficult. I mean, as you've 
discussed it that you know it's not easy to to find this stuff and to make it uh, you know qual high quality and all that. Um, so I mean, really, any any kind of album like this, I think, is is great. I mean, uh, Saigon Super Sound, I've listened to before and enjoyed. Mark, I'll definitely be checking out your album after this. Because I mean, you can see if you go to the antique stores here, like there's all these old music covers. I mean, it's just the paper or sometimes just the music sheets, and you're like, I wonder what this is. I mean, there's a few. I'm sure you guys have been to some of them, but there's stores where it's just like piles of hundreds of sheet music and album covers, not actual albums and that kind of stuff, but I'm just like, there's, most, there's just like obviously this whole world of music that uh, is, well, especially for an English speaker, hard to access, but even if you have the skills, obviously it's pretty difficult as well. So, I don't know, I, I guess I kind of just like appreciate anything that <laughs> does get discovered and, and it publishable. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, very, that's very interesting, Mike, that you said when you go into these antique shops and you see you see all these albums right and some of them may be good some of them may not be your style mm. um, and I would bring it back to what Mark had said about this book with pages missing mm -hmm. but then on the other pile there are thousands of pages that are just sitting there <laughs> waiting for its book right, right? Mm. and you don't know which of those thousands of pages belongs in the book or not and if it does where in the book does it belong to mm. and so that was the beauty behind I think this compilation this 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 album is because so many people have known about film them I mean from what I've been reading on YouTube, and I met Adam, and Jan have known about Fungdam, Mark has known about Fungdam, and Adam, who is my Saigon collector, uh, he is uh, he is American, and he lives there, um, and he's married to a Vietnamese person, and he took me on some of these shopping trips to these old mom and pop plays, uh, like what you said, Mike, mm. and he took his phone with me and he held it up and we would flip through all of these song sheets mm. and when I saw something that would resemble my mother's stuff he would buy it for me right and it was like do you know this one do you know this one what I wonder what's the story behind this one and this is what we talked about mm. oh my gosh I wonder who is this person <laughs> right mm. it's just a a bunch of nameless, or I, I should say nameless, faceless, and no story behind it. Mm. And I'm sure there is a story. Mm. We just haven't uncovered it. Yeah. And so with the Fulham Project, I felt as I was going through all of this and experiencing this for the first time where many people have experienced this for years, like Adam and, and Jan going, like, who is this person, right? Who is this person? Um, we were able to put one book together, one. Right. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an awesome accomplishment. And I, mean, I guess I wanted to ask uh, Hannah, you know, since it, this came out or, and has gotten attention, has your mom heard from any, or has anybody heard from anybody who was like, oh, my God, I, I saw her in Saigon in the 60s, and I can't believe this is out or, or anything like that? Uh, I have 
to, well, first of all, a lot of the musicians have passed away. Sure, right. And uh, I was telling Jan yesterday that I, I felt as I was doing this, especially since Mark was taking so long to do it, but I know <laughs> now that he needed it to make it what it is now. Mm -hmm. But it was more of, uh, my mom is wondering when this is going to be finished because she's getting older or <laughs> COVID is happening, huh? Right. If she's going to, you know, make it through this pandemic and here, or do you know when Letu, you know Letu, Letu, she's a singer. Um, she died of COVID. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. She, yeah. she died last year. Yeah. And, so, yeah. and whenever there was a death or an illness or someone has cancer, she would send it to me and say, when are you going to finish? When are you going to finish? So there was an urgency to finish before some of these players pass on, right? And I feel that there is an urgency to continue with this work before more people pass on, like my mom. And, and then we even have more questions that can't be answered. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are myriad stories to uncover and lost histories. It's a very fragmented time mm -hmm. to look back on and try to piece together. And we have pieces of it. We don't. We have there are large gaps. Mm -hmm. The war happened. Mm -hmm. Life happened. Um, there's that, that heavy weight of history and circumstance. Um, things sure. change. You know, life mm -hmm. moves you along, and histories get buried or lost in the shuffle, yeah. or even erased. Uh, and in the case of the you know, Vietnam at that time, there was certainly some specific uh, efforts after the war to, you know, to forget about those on an official level. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, Mung Tam, for instance, in, in her case, her legend, which, which was felt and known at the time, has been um, overlooked or understated for years, even, mm -hmm. even in the present day knowledge of, of Vietnam's uh, explosive music scene at that time uh, in the 60s and 70s and, and her her story uh, slips between the cracks in many ways. I, I think it has to do a lot with um, her having such a short-spanning career, obviously uh, even though she was there at the beginning of rock and roll and quite a prolific uh, uh, pioneering um, performer and recording artist and that, that really helped usher in a new era in, in musical history at that time in Vietnam. Yeah, Things moved quickly and also recording and some of the songs uh, like Magical Nights that, ha that have been re-recorded by other singers later on again and again because these are really good songs but she was and, and sometimes other singers like Miley Hill which I really like but mm. she got more famous for it mm. but originally the song was written for Fung Tam and she mm. recorded it the first time so mm. that, that's something very that, that's part of the history or the story I think that is very important to, to mention to give her the credit she deserves for it because she did like like um, or not 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 M or what's it called? Um, no M. Yeah, that the, the, those songs are she recorded it for the first time, and right. they sometimes sometimes the composer. That's also something important to mention and to note. The composer wrote the song for the singer. Right, right. And then, but but then a song gets famous. 
and then it got re-recorded mm-hmm. by a lot of singers and um but originally it was written for one specific singer mm-hmm. and and all the songs Sun Tam performs on that album as far as I know as far as I know are recorded the first time by Sun Tam okay. and you can find it in the in the original sheet music that Hannah was talking about uncovering some yeah. some of that with Adam in the markets you can see Sun yeah. Tam named as the singer at the bottom these mm-hmm. were written with her in mind Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then in early 1966, she walks away from her singing career without looking back. And after she stops, as we know, the the music scene in Saigon escalated even further. Right. Yeah. And and those from her peer group, uh, her contemporaries who were singing, uh, some of them continued to sing until 75, and then even beyond in the diaspora in France or in the States. Sure. And those sure. are the ones that maybe those versions stayed in people's minds. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, it's it's been an honor. Um, I love that this is told from a Vietnamese perspective. That's mm-hmm. not something that's very common. Um, uh, it's told by Phuong Tham's daughter and and chronicles her incredible roller coaster journey to uncover this legacy. It was an honor for me to be a part of that journey, and um, I think that it's told from a Vietnamese perspective is important because we really lack. Um, stories and documents relating to Vietnam that come from a Vietnamese, Vietnamese perspective um, when you're talking about Western issue releases. Yeah, yeah. Um, and hopefully it's a gateway for a lot of listeners that haven't really thought about it. I mean, um, it, it, it's, it's a hope that this can be impactful full, in a full-spectrum way for, for Vietnamese, um, young and old, those who remember it, those who have never heard of it, uh, as well as, um, as global listeners. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really yeah. it. It, it still is. It, it still, I would say, it still is also this type of music. Still is also building a bridge between East and West mm-hmm. uh, in the way in the in the way it was done then uh, back then. You know, I mean, it's 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 a mix between Western and Eastern styles. So it it's a bridge builder still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Right. I also I also feel that when we think, um, I mean, now that I live in the States, when we think of the Vietnam War, we always hear the rock, the American rock and roll, the Jimi Hendrix, yeah. the um, Bob Dylan. And so that music is like the forefront. And if you Google music of the Vietnam War, you hear American music. Yeah. And yeah. this yeah. is from a perspective of the Vietnamese side. Before, mm. before it, it really, uh, bef- yeah, even up until ni- 1975, there was so much creation that came out of that small part of the world, mm-hmm. right? And this was just the beginning, and then it continued to the more hard rock version, um, and the and the Bolero and the sad songs. But I would say. This puts Vietnam back into the Vietnam War is not all about American music. It's also no. There's the other country <laughs> that is producing music. Yeah. I mean, as far as I know, zero zero of the Western-made narrative films that, that feature, or even some of the documentaries that feature Vietnam, have actually taken the opportunity to uh, substantially include Vietnamese music. And uh, no. um, I can't say since I haven't seen them all. Maybe Kong sourced well, one or two. One did. One did. Yeah, yeah. Kong, but Kong, people might actually, actually think of Kong. The, Kong. 
Kong. It was right. Kong. Kong. Okay. I, I know it because a friend of mine was working on that movie. Oh, the and Skull Island. A, huh? The one that came out a couple years ago? Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. Because it was filmed in Vietnam and mm. now some, I had a friend who was working on that movie mm -hmm. also. And, but this one covers the Vietnamese song in it. Uh, I was just saying people people might actually more think of like I was saying the doors from Apocalypse Now yeah, or whatever Robin Williams clear was water or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, be before they think of Vietnamese music. So it's about time. Mm. Mike, can I ask you, since you're living in Vietnam right now, uh, are there a lot of people that know this album was released? Um it's well a tricky time to ask that because I well, we just came out of lockdown a little while ago, so I haven't been like out and about socializing very much. But Hannah, I can, I can, I can. Uh, how, how do you say? I can calm you down. <laughs> I don't know the right word. Uh, there is, there is really in Vietnam, there is, a, there is a racing interest for the pre seventy five history. You That's definitely true. That. Yeah, you can also see that, and that was one of the biggest hits. I, I just tried to. You know this movie, this movie. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This movie came out like two years ago, and it's about the Kailung Theater. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, actually, it's a it's a story about uh, about two guys, like a uh, 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 gay, a bit gay, gay love story, but playing in the 80s, beginning of the 80s. In the in the in the Kailung uh, around the Kailung Theater, and mm -hmm. it really really was a hit. And I was I know it because it was even played longer in the cinemas than it should be. Because I when I moved to Vietnam, I was like I want to see that movie, and then they put it down from the cinema before I arrived. <laughs> and then it was back on three weeks later by public demand, so I could go to the cinema and see it. Yeah. So there's really an interest for for history in general and also for stuff like the old because Kailung is is similar, mm. it is not appreciated, it's forbidden or forbidden, whatever, not appreciated. Yeah. And and um, there's really an interest and and I mean not maybe not the average young guy is interested in that, but people, but there are a lot of young Vietnamese people, and I can see that they come to the events we did, or when mm. we play with yeah. the band, like Saigon, Saigon uh, Soul Revival. We had 400 people last time we played in Saigon, coming wow. to the show, 400 people, and it is all mixed experts, Vietcues, but also a lot of Vietnamese people. Uh, so wow. You, you don't have to be afraid. It will make its way. But yeah, it will. It will take some time. Yeah. No, you know, I'm not afraid. Like, yeah. What? I'm not afraid of um, whether it's going no, to be listened to. I'm just afraid because I, I don't have the right word in English. I don't mean <laughs> afraid. I mean, uh, you don't have to worry. I don't, be have, at I ease. don't have the right no, no. expression. <laughs> what, what my question to Mike was, I wondered how well received it would be from the Vietnamese who are living there. I know the Vietcues and the expats will um, be open to it, but I'm talking about the Vietnamese, the local Vietnamese, because they want, they, they, I think the 
newer generation want to know more, but maybe the government is kind of still suppressing them. So I, that's what my question is. I wonder how mm. well it would be received by the Vietnamese people. I think pretty well received. I mean, in terms of pop culture, the, the government's not particularly heavy-handed. I mean, you can access um, most things on Facebook, YouTube, you know, TikTok, whatever. Obviously, if you get political, that could be a different issue. But if it's um, if it's not, then it's pretty it's pretty open to you know, like there's not like there's no hard hard firewall. It's not like China or anything like that. Um, not even close, thankfully. So you can find pretty much whatever you want, um, and as long as there's not like an overt political angle to it, it should be perfectly fine. So yeah, I mean, Jan, you and I both know collectors, uh, young collectors, even back in 2014, who were really uh, excited to find original music pre-1975 on vinyl. And um, I am thinking of a few in particular. Maybe there only are a few, but it, there's even a Facebook group, Vietnam Loves Vinyl. Mm. Um, that's, that's our Facebook group. <laughs> oh, okay. Now I know. All right. <laughs> That's from Antoine. Antoine initiated me and Antoine doing this group. Well, there is there is a, I mean there there is a growing interest. I mean again, small low low level, but growing interest in vinyl. Like a store opened here in Saigon last year or something. I mean they they sell like um, you know Lana Del Rey vinyl, and it's a mix of like old vinyl and then like new stuff that's being released on vinyl. Um, it's a small shop, but that's pretty, it seems to be pretty popular. So it, again, it, you know, it's a subset, but people are into it. What, Mike, please, please um, include uh, so many people that were uh, contributors to this, um, to mm -hmm. this album. Jan, uh, very instrumental. He was our library. Um, whenever we had a song, we would ask Jan uh, if this is true, what the year was, um, who were the uh, who were the who was the band, and he has been collecting for a long time and archiving it and organizing it, and had a huge collection. Um, I think all of this is in the uh, in the release. Mm. Was oh. my was our London collector Kung Pham was our London collector who had also been um, just collecting over the last maybe eight years and um, and gifted uh, our family with his collection and then there's Adam Ferguson who is living in Vietnam right now and uh, took me on those shopping trips and he had his own little collection that. Um, uh, shared with me and he was a complete stranger mm. he was a complete stranger I found him through Discogs do you know Discogs? I didn't until I read it in the, the Guardian article and I was just looking at it briefly before the call yeah so I mass email anybody that had an album that was Fung Tham and I asked I would just say, I'm interested in buying your disc or your vinyl. Can you please sell it to me? I didn't name a price. I wanted them to come back and give me a price because I couldn't find them anywhere. And we needed to get the original uh, recordings. And so it was maybe 50 mass 
email to strangers, and Adam was the only one that responded. So I met him through Discord, and then it just escalated into a friendship and um, and a collaborator. So so we could not have done it just Mark and I. We needed we needed to to involve everybody who has been loving this music for years, and now they're able to showcase what they've been collecting, right? 